as humans, we have the unique ability to believe some things that simply aren't true. Here is a case and point or two. Some have believed that the earth is flat. And though there is debate on this even today, satellite images have proven otherwise. <laughs> Some have believed, as one early 20th century dietitian argued, that we can effectively diet by chewing our food 100 times, ab absorbing all the nutrients, and then spitting it out. This is believed until those practicing it developed intestinal atrophy. The list could go on. Some believe that if you crack your knuckles, they're going to get arthritis. Science has proven otherwise. Some believe that if you're a, if, you know, that they're a good athlete and musician until time and skills kind of speak for themselves. Some believe that they're healthy until the blood test returns and tells a different story. We can believe a lot of things that are simply not true. But what I want, to, I want us to think about today is what happens when something you believe to be true is proven untrue? How do you respond? You know, it's a real test, right? When we're confronted with the truth and then our, our beliefs or what we, we thought to be true is, is challenged or exposed as untrue. And we can really respond in, in two different ways. We can deny the truth and persist in unbelief. Nope, the earth is flat. It's not round. That's fake news. No, this diet works, even though I'm slowly withering away. No, I am healthy. The blood test was wrong, inaccurate. We can deny and persist in denial and unbelief, or we can respond thoughtfully, humbly, and consider the truth, and we can believe it, and then persist in that belief. So how do you respond? When you're confronted with real truth, do you deny and, and persist? Or do you believe and persist? Even if it costs you community or status or comfort. To deny or to believe? That is the question. And it's the question that we're going to be considering today. So with that, please open your Bible with me to the book of John. John is the fourth book in the New Testament. We're going to be diving into John chapter 8, verses 31 to 59 today. And if you do not have a Bible, you could find one in a pew near you. It's on page 886. You can find John on page 886. And if you do not own a Bible here at the start of 2024, we would love to get one into your hands. So come find myself or, 
or David, who led worship today, uh, we would love to get a Bible into your hands at the end of service. So come find one of us. We'll be diving again into chapter 8, verses 31 to 59 of John today. So, with that, let's go ahead and read together. Now, we're going to dive into the whole rest of the chapter, but we're only going to read just a couple verses here at the start. So, follow along as I read John 8, 31 and 32. So, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is God's word to the church. Thanks be to God. Let's say that together. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray once again. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts to receive your word. We ask that you would turn the lights on in our hearts and minds, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear the truth of your word. And Lord, may we not simply be hearers of your word today. We ask that we would be doers of it for our joy and your glory. In the name of Christ that we pray, amen. Well, just to catch us up, we are currently going through a series in the Gospel according to John titled, Behold. And the reason this series is titled, Behold, is because within every chapter, we behold the person, the words, and the works of Jesus. On every page, and in every chapter, from chapter 1 through 8, verse 30, we have come face to face with Jesus with His glory and with His greatness, with His authority and with His divinity, with His compassion and His love, with His power and His sovereignty. But as we've seen on the pages of John, we've seen some mixed responses to Jesus, as there are today. We have seen just a handful of responses, some are on the fence about Jesus. Some have denied him and persisted in denying him. Some have believed and have kept believing him. The disciples are a picture of this. Still others have have believed with their mouths and and showed some belief with their their feet. They're, They're kind of following Jesus but their unbelief is proven when they are confronted with the truth of who Jesus is that just costs them too much. And it's with these four types of responses in view that we arrive at our passage this morning. And to help give us a grasp on John chapter 8, 31 to 59, here is a big idea of this section in John. Here's the big idea. No matter the cost, a true believer abides in the truth of Jesus and accepts the truth of who Jesus is. No matter the cost, 
A true believer abides in the truth of Jesus. You see this in verses 31 to 47. And accepts the truth of who He is in verses 48 to 59. So point one, no matter the cost, a true believer abides in the truth of Jesus. And this point is going to be longer than the second. John 8, starting with verse 31 to 47. Look there with me. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, if you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered Him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he who sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Well, just to establish the, the context here, we're at the tail end the festival of tabernacles or, or shelters in our passage this morning. And in order to grasp the full weight, the, the weight of this section and this conversation, in order to, to kind of walk through and understand it and apply it to our lives faithfully, well, we need to grasp who Jesus is speaking to here in these verses. And we're told this in verse 31, and we're told there in verse 30, the preceding verse to the section today. This whole section is a dialogue between Jesus and a crowd that says they believe in Him. And it's to those, it's to these that Jesus says, if you are a true believer, an authentic disciple, then your life will be marked by three things. You will abide in My Word. You will know the truth. And you will no longer be enslaved to sin, but you will be set free from the truth or with the truth. We read this in 31 through 32. 
See, and make no mistake, the point here is that to abide in Christ is to abide in the truth and to experience real freedom. And further, a true disciple of Jesus abides, means, meaning stays in, remains in, and perseveres in, abides in the truth of Christ's Word. Not only in the red letters in the New Testament, but in the whole counsel of God's Word, which testifies of the person and work of Jesus. And so what a wonderful thing to consider here at the start of 2024. And so if you, if you are truly a believer, are you abiding in God's Word? Or is your Bible collecting dust over on the shelf? Do you have an appetite, a growing appetite, for Christ and His Word? Do you have times in your, in your day where you just open God's Word, meditate on it, and read it, and pray through it? To encourage you in this, we have a new sermon card. You could also find this in a pew near you, near, near you right now. That, uh, that sermon card is, is meant to kind of help guide you in, in your reading plan throughout the week. It also may provide an opportunity for you to know the passage that we're going to be looking at the following week and for you to read and to to kind of walk through earlier in the week in preparation for, for Sunday. And then you can pray through those prayer points that are at the bottom of that card. One of the central fruits of a person who has been saved is a desire to abide in God's Word. So, brother, sister Christian, are you regularly abiding in and delighting in the truth of God's Word, which testifies of Christ and the finished work of the Gospel. Well, how does this so-called believing crowd respond? Well, we read verses 33 and 39 and 41. They say, ah, oh, we don't need to be set free because we're already free. We are Abraham's children, Jesus. We are already abiding in the truth. We're abiding. We're staying in the faith of our father, Abraham. And we'll actually do you one better, Jesus. God is our father, and we're his. We don't need to be set free. But Jesus shines light on this because he is the light, as we saw last week. And he exposes their belief as a counterfeit belief. And he says in verses 34 to 38, if you were truly free, then you would listen to and abide in me and not abide in sin. Be a slave to sin. Now, we need to be careful here. Jesus is not speaking of sinless perfection. Like you can somehow in this life reach a, a, a point in your sanctification where you are sinless. The Bible doesn't teach that. But he is saying that if you truly believe in him, even though you will experience the presence of sin, you can be set free from the power of it in your life and no longer enslaved to it. 
Well, Jesus goes on, if you were truly free, then you would not abide in the words and faith of Abraham, but in me. He would not be the object of your faith, but I would. If you were truly free, then you would not seek to kill me, to murder me. You would not be like your father, Satan, back in the garden, who is a liar, who deceived Eve and Adam, and then deceived Cain, who killed his brother Abel. This is the point there of verse 44. You would not seek to kill me, to murder me, but you would worship me. He's saying, if you were truly free, then you would not place your hope in your ethnicity and religious standing in Abraham's bloodline, but you'd place your hope in me. If you truly believed, then you would have eyes to see and ears to hear that that I speak truth from the Father because I am God. That's what Jesus is saying here. Oh, he says, if you truly believed, your faith would reveal that you are a child of God but your words and actions reveal that you are a child of the devil, the father of lies, and that you have been deceived. Jesus says all of this to the so-called believing crowd because they confessed with their mouths and they believed in Jesus, but when they were confronted with the truth of who he is and their ethnic standing in Abraham was challenged, they rejected and they denied him. And they persisted in denial. Even after hearing in verses 39 to 40 and further down in the passage that Abraham's faith displayed in his works, his faithfulness, revealed his belief. Not to mention, when Abraham was confronted by God, he didn't seek to kill him. He believed in him. And see, all of this revealed the truth that these so-called believers were holding fast to a counterfeit gospel. A gospel of salvation through Father Abraham and not Jesus. They were putting their faith in a person. The wrong person. And this is heavy. And this ought to convict us. This ought to rattle our spiritual cages. Because though we may not believe in a counterfeit gospel of of ethnicity, though we may not believe that we're saved through a man like Abraham. The world, and even the church globally, is filled with people who say they know Jesus, who say they believe in the gospel, but they believe in a Jesus and a gospel of their own making. And so let's heed Jesus' words here and check our own hearts and check the gospel that we believe in because there are real counterfeit gospels all around us and they assail us every week. There's the prosperity gospel, a false gospel of your best life now for three easy payments. There's the gospel of works righteousness, a counterfeit gospel that says work harder, be better if you want salvation. And this defies the words of Jesus that it is finished. There's the counterfeit gospel of what is called easy believism. Easy believism. This is a gospel that boils salvation down to a mere 
prayer prayed, a decision made, a hand raised, without any evidence of faith displayed, the fruit of faith displayed in the life of that person. There's the counterfeit gospel of what has been called the therapeutic gospel, often promoted on Christian radio and even by churches, even here in this region this morning. And this counterfeit gospel is most concerned about how nice you are and how good you are to get into heaven. This is a a therapeutic gospel that promises that if you just add a little bit of Jesus to your life, then your felt needs materially or emotionally will be met, and you will be hashtag blessed. A therapeutic gospel is a counterfeit gospel that says, well, if you just add a little Jesus to your life, then quote-unquote, you can conquer your generational sins, and you will become a better you. A therapeutic gospel provides Jesus as a therapeutic quick fix for your earthly problems and doesn't actually address your greatest problem, which is the penalty for sin. These are just some of the counterfeit gospels that come our way from both outside and inside the church regularly. And each one is deceitful. And each one comes from the enemy of our souls, the father of lies. And so the truth, the the gospel, the Jesus that we believe in and abide in personally and collectively here at Hillsborough First Baptist Church matters. Because one of the greatest threats to the church is not forces outside of it. And one of the greatest threats to the church is forces inside of it. Forces that are abiding in and encouraging you to abide in counterfeit gospels that are straight from the enemy himself and lead to hell. So church, how do we remain in and combat false gospels in our lives, both personally and collectively? How do we do that? Well, first, we need to know and believe and abide in the true gospel of Jesus. We need to know and believe and abide that that gospel that Jesus proclaimed, that the apostles proclaimed, that, that gospel that has been once and for all handed down to the saints, as Jude says. We need to believe in the gospel that comes right off the pages of Scripture. That in the beginning, God created all things and they were created good. He created Adam and Eve and they were very good. But the first human beings, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God and rebelled against Him. They denied the truth. They denied the gracious authority of God over their lives. And what happened? Sin entered the world. And it's not just Adam and Eve who have sinned. We know that through them, We know from Scripture that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone in this room is a sinner in need of Jesus and in need of His grace daily. And the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. And because of sin and the penalty of it, the final destiny of unbelieving sinners is a a real place called hell. 
we will all one day die and we will all one day be judged. But God. Oh, two of the sweetest words. Two of the sweetest words that we'll ever read in Scripture, two of the sweetest words we'll be reminded of today. But God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, Jesus, to be the way, the truth, and the life for all of those who would repent and believe in Him. He would go to a cross, and He would die on a cross, and He would take the punishment that we hell-bound sons and daughters of the enemy of our souls deserved. He took that punishment that we deserved for our rebellion against Him upon Himself and the cross, but He did not stay dead. Three days later, He was resurrected in power and glory, and He later ascended into heaven where He reigns now, and He will one day return. This is the true gospel straight off the pages of Scripture. And there's only one response to this gospel, brothers and sisters. One response, and that is repentance. Turning away from sin and belief. Turning toward Jesus by faith, by grace, each day. Believing in and abiding in Him, remaining in Him and His Word daily. See, our greatest problem, once again, isn't sickness or a generational issue or anxiety or addiction or fear or cultural upheaval or cultural wars. Our biggest problem doesn't revolve around ethnicity or our cultural standing. Our greatest and biggest problem isn't our lack of prosperity or a therapeutic solution for this life. No, our biggest problem is the penalty for sin. And there's only one gospel, one gospel that brings resolve for that penalty. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ and his life, and his death, and his resurrection for sinners. There's only one true gospel that makes sons and daughters of the devil, sons and daughters of God. Through the work of Jesus applied by sovereign grace by the power of the Holy Spirit. So just to be clear, we aren't saved by our own striving, our own persevering, our own abiding, our fierce abiding, or holding on to this truth of the gospel. No, this gospel of Jesus Christ that you just heard is the only gospel that both saves us and keeps us in life and in death. If you have questions about this, I'll be standing in the back after. I'd love to talk with you more about this gospel. Don't leave this place without hearing more and responding to this gospel, this good news for sinners like you and I. And in HFBC, he, this is why one of the main reasons, uh, one of the main ways we, we both kind of protect and guard the gospel here is by proclaiming it and preaching it every week here. One of the goals here at the church is to preach this gospel every week from the pulpit. Our goal is that you would hear regularly and without fail that it's the gospel of Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And this is our goal, not only in our worship gatherings, but also in our children's ministry, in in our men's ministry, in our women's ministry, in any other ministry 
in the life of the church. Because, because we recognize, and I recognize, that the world, the flesh, and the enemy of our souls is attacking us every day. False gospels assail us every day, every week. And I get the blessed opportunity to, to give you the gospel for one 45-minute-ish sermon each week. We need to be reminded of, we need to hear the gospel regularly in order to combat false gospels that are satanic, that are contrary to the truth, that are opposed to Jesus and contain false promises. And we need to hear this gospel and we need to rehearse this gospel so that we can continue to encourage and equip one another with this gospel. So that when loss comes, when, when pain comes, when lament comes, when mourning comes, even, or even when rejoicing comes, that we can continue to remind one another of the good news of the gospel. This is a co-responsibility of every member here at Hillsborough First Baptist Church. This isn't just my job. This is our job. So let's make it a point to both stand in and stand on and continue to share and rehearse the gospel, not only individually, but collectively together as we see the destined day arise and Christ returns. Well, at the end of the day, this crowd believed something, as we've seen, that was not true. They held to a false gospel. And when confronted with the truth of Jesus and forced to count the cost, which was their very lineage, they denied Jesus. But the story isn't over. Will they, will you, if you haven't already, come to accept the truth of who Jesus is? Not only to abide in Him, but to come to accept the truth of who He is. And that brings us to point two. No matter the cost, a true believer accepts the truth of who Jesus is. Look with me at verses 48 to 59. <clears throat> the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I so they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of 
the temple. Well, in response to the the conversation, the debate at hand, after their false salvation is exposed and after they hear that they are this crowd is not God's people, but the devil's people. They aren't cut to the heart. They don't respond in repentance. No, they, they respond, did you notice, in name-calling. They say in, in verses 48 and 52 and 57 that, that Jesus is a Samaritan, one outside, a pseudo-inside, but outside of God's people. That he must be possessed by a demon. Then they call him delusional, insane for not even being 50, and saying that he has seen Abraham. Instead of receiving Jesus, they revolt against him. But Jesus fires back, as we just read. No, I don't have a demon. But your insults reveal that you truly are from below. That you are of the devil and that you are in darkness. And you're incapable of obeying my words and the Father's words. And your incapability ultimately dishonors God the Father. And then in verse 50, Jesus makes it abundantly clear that he doesn't need their approval, their praise, their glory. He doesn't care about their name-calling and their revolting because God is the ultimate judge. And God the Father will ultimately glorify and vindicate him. That's what he says here. That he will ultimately glorify and vindicate all of his people on the last day through Jesus. That's the point here. And, and this is the opposite, this, this kind of um, rejection of self-glory that Jesus does here. This is kind of the opposite of, of what we do, right? We are, in the words of Paul David Tripp, uh, glory thieves. We are so often craving glory, craving the approval of man. We seek praise for for who we are and what we do. We so often fear what others say and what others think about us. But not Jesus. The very King of kings and the Lord of lords even humbly says, verse 54, that my glory is nothing if the Father is not glorified. Brothers and sisters, may may this convict us. Maybe, maybe we should ask this morning, ask ourselves, who, whose approval am I seeking? Whose praise do I long for? In what, in whom do I find truth and identity? Whose glory am I after? Just as we cannot serve two masters, we cannot glorify ourselves and glorify Jesus. It's one or the other. So who is it going to be? Well, after hearing Jesus, this crowd, they lose their minds. They hear Jesus' words and the truth that he will be vindicated and glorified by the Father, and they insult him further in verse 52. Now, we know that you have a demon. But then Jesus levels up and says, those who keep my word, like I who keep my Father's word, will never taste death. And this is the point of verses 52 and then down in in 55. And they fire back and they say, "Uh, Abraham died, the apostles, or the, I'm sorry, the prophets died. Are you saying that you will never die? 
They still can't wrap their minds around the truth. Still cannot wrap their minds and their hearts around the truth of who Jesus is. And so they ask again, are you greater than Abraham? Who do you think you are? And Jesus is like, I'm so glad you asked. And it's here where he makes the most groundbreaking, earth-shattering, atomic claim of all of John right here thus far. In verse 58, he says, before Abraham was, I am. So what, what do we make of this claim? And, and in the context of the chapter, what is Jesus saying here? Well, he is saying that he was the one who spoke to Moses. That he was the one who spoke to Moses through the burning bush back in Exodus chapter 3. That he was before Moses. He is saying here that he is the one who spoke to Abraham and made a covenant with Abraham back in Genesis. And that he is the one that Abraham looked to by faith and rejoiced in, as verse 56 said. He is the one who was and is and forever will be the great I am Lord over all. And he is the one who would be glorified and exalted as the great I am through his death and his resurrection and his ascension. So here's the point. Jesus is the I am. The one who is greater and above all. Well, this crowd hears all of this in Jesus' words loud and clear. <laughs> they hear it loud and clear, and instead of accepting the truth of who Jesus is, what do they do? They pick up stones to kill him. Instead of worshiping him and glorifying him, they seek to wound and gouge him. Oh, and here's the scariest, the saddest part of this. The same men and women who said they believed back in 31 are the very ones picking up stones to kill him in verse 59. When his claims were just too great, when the cost to follow him was just too great, to give up that gospel of salvation through Abraham, when that was just too great, when they, they sought to put to death, they sought to put to death the very one who can give them life and set them free. What we need to see is that they were willing to accept some of who Jesus is on their own terms, but they could not handle the truth. They could not handle the full truth of who he is. So brother, sister, here's the lesson for us. We cannot accept just part of who Jesus is. We cannot accept the truth of who he is just in word only. No, to accept him is to accept all of him, no matter the cost. How often do we, just like the crowds, want a Jesus on our own terms, a Jesus that adds to us but doesn't cost us? So Jesus cannot simply be an add-on to our life. He is life. And so to accept by pure, God-enabled, God-given grace, to, to receive and accept salvation is not just a decision to accept, accept some things about him. No, it's to accept the truth that outside of him and his gospel work, there is only death. Outside of him and his gospel work, there is only bondage to sin, 
and separation from God because of it. So even if it costs you, have you, will you accept the truth, all of the truth of who Jesus is today? Well, in closing, beloved, this passage is is meant to deeply challenge us and convict us. It's meant to do that. But this passage is also meant to encourage us. It's also meant to give us a deep hope and to give us a deep assurance. So if you truly believe, if you are a Christian, if you are abiding in Christ's Word and work in the Gospel with the help of the Spirit day by day, then you have a hope and assurance that is unbreakable and unshakable. If you are truly a believer, if you are a Christian, you're bearing those fruits of faith, faith in Christ in your life. Oh, then, you need to know that Christ has His grip on you. And nothing will change that. Nothing. If you truly believe, and if you are a, a Christian, then, then you already, you need to hear this, you already dwell as a son or daughter of the King. You already dwell in the family of God. You have been bought into and brought into a new family through the work of Jesus, been brought into Christ's kingdom, his people, his pasture. Oh, if you truly believe in Jesus, then because of him and his work applied to you, you will never truly die. But you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that good news? And this is all because of the grace of Jesus. No work of our own. This is all because of the grace of Jesus. And this ought to lead us to rejoice in. This ought to lead us to sing boldly the words that we're about to sing together. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong. Who holds our days within His hand? What comes apart from His command? And what will keep us until the end, the love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah. Now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and in death. Let's pray. Lord, we 
we recognize and we acknowledge what hope we have in Christ. Jesus, we thank You for making a way when there is no way, for, for making children of the enemy children of the Father through Your work, through Your life and Your death and resurrection. And Lord, I pray that we would relish that. That we would rejoice in that. But that we would rehearse that day by day as we look personally and collectively to Your return, Lord Jesus. And we do pray, Lord, come quickly. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.